Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 118 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. We're recording early here on a Friday. The episode's going to come out right when we get done here. Uh, my name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, in honor of the Philadelphia Phillies, I got my Pennsylvania Starbucks mug that we're drinking coffee out of with a nice little Liberty Bell right there. How are we feeling? Don't get into the personal side of things. We're going to get into the personal side of things. All right? We're going to talk about those things. Just from a Phillies fan perspective, how how are we feeling? Great. How could you not be feeling great? This team, two years in a row now, has has gotten into the playoffs and and looked like the best team in the National League. Now they got to play a Diamondbacks team who is also extremely hot. But I mean, I think that the Astros make it look stupid easy to get to the League Championship Series seven in a row now, which we'll talk about that I'm sure as well. But the Phillies back to back years now in the in the, the, the League Championship Series, um, it's really impressive. It's really impressive, and, and if you're a Phillies fan, I think everybody saw the bank last night. I, the place was still full like 30 minutes after the game ended. I, I think it's great. I mean, it's a, how can you not be happy? I love that mug. That's a great mug. Yeah. Perfect. Well, we'll get into the to the finer details of each and every series and some of the things that we want to talk about. But let's just recap as it stands right now. Um, so obviously, we've concluded all four of the series. Really, I mean, in terms of the quality of playoff baseball we've had, it hasn't exactly, outside of the Phillies and Braves, it hasn't exactly been the the thrill-seekers adventure uh, for this playoff baseball. But we've had some really good baseball. We had the Texas Rangers head into Baltimore, take two there, and then finish out the series in Texas in convincing fashion. We're going to talk a lot more about the Orioles here. The Diamondbacks swept the Dodgers and in, in things that we didn't have on the bingo card. This is now two years in a row where the Dodgers have really struggled in the DS, and we'll talk about that specifically. The Houston Astros won the series uh, three to one against the Twins. Obviously, the Twins had that really good game, took the took it back to Minnesota. Um, you were hoping that they were going to get some momentum there, but really weird how they handled the Joe Ryan situation. I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know if 
I would guess he's not healthy. I know the last fastball he threw um, in the right before he got pulled was 90.5, and that's not typically how hard he throws. Um, and then last but not least, as we just kind of initially talked about with you, the, the Philadelphia Phillies beat the Braves and took two wins um, in the bank, and that place was rocking. It was a, a college football-level atmosphere in a baseball setting. They continue to grow in confidence as a fan base, and – you know, outside of the Philly series, which obviously was where your, a lot of your focus was, both um, on social media and in your daily life, uh, what, what are your kind of thoughts on the other three series? I think my big thing right now that that I kind of look back on is just wasn't didn't seem to be great baseball, right? It was cool stories. There's a couple cool storylines, but like in terms of like the big play or the the big you know hero performance outside of Jordan Alvarez, it wasn't exactly stuff that we are going to remember five to 10 years down the road. No, we quite haven't had those. I mean, we'll get into the one moment that I think you will remember five to 10 years down the road. But um, other than that, like you said, in those other three series, yeah, it, it wasn't. It was a lot of teams taking advantage of mismassages and, and just flat out kind of outplaying their opponents. Um, you know, but I, I think that all three teams that won – it wasn't like there was nothing lucky about it. Any of these series, it was like, you looked at it and all the wins kind of made sense when you went through and saw what happened. Obviously the most surprising one to most people is Arizona. But when the, when, if you watched any of the games or watched the highlights, cause you didn't want to stay up till one in the morning, it was like, okay, this makes sense. Like they're just flat out beating them. They are flat yeah, out beating well, them. They're giving them no room to breathe. And and, and padlock stack and stat in that series is that their starting pitchers combined for six innings, 13 earned runs. It's like Lance right. Lynn lowered. He gave up four home runs in the third inning and, and ended up getting pulled um, right then and there after two and two thirds. And he lowered the starting pitcher ERA through this series, which is fascinating. Not, even the Los Angeles Dodgers who have the best lineup. And we will talk about the offensive performances from, from superstars across baseball um, in the teams that lost. But, you're not getting very far with that starting no. pitching. And we knew that coming in. We just didn't think the Diamondbacks were going to be the team that exposed them. And they ended up being capable of hitting enough home runs and impacting them. It's not like they hung 10, 11, 12. Once the Dodgers turned the ball to the bullpen, it was pretty, you know, standard holding, holding runs off the board. Then the offense didn't do a good enough job of coming back in those games outside of game one, where obviously Kershaw laid that egg, but it was just brutal brutal what they got out of their starting pitching. You're not winning any games with starting pitching that can't go three innings without giving up six or seven runs. Yeah. And on the flip side, the Diamondback, I mean, Merrill Kelly, Zach Gallen, and then even Brandon Fott, who clearly was on the shorter leash. And I think they got him out of there after four and two thirds, four and a third or whatever it was, which exceeded kind of expectations considering what he had done in the regular season the Diamondbacks did a great job and they're the way Tori Lovello pieced that bullpen together. Everyone in the bullpen stepped up. They, I mean, they had a plan, they executed it. And and that's what I mean. It wasn't like, I don't know. You're right. There were no big moments because a lot of the games weren't close. That's because one team, it felt like in every one of these series was out just continuously out executing the other team. And as much as people want to point to the offenses and, and the layoffs for uh, a lot of those teams, because obviously the Orioles had the best record in the AL and, the Dodgers won 100 games. The pitching staffs for all those teams, to me, are what really let them down because it's hard enough to hit in playoff baseball in general. It's hard enough to hit, period. 
Then you put in the pressure of the playoffs and how every moment is magnified. And, and you know, you're, a lot of guys are white knuckling and, and pitching is so important. And they didn't execute. The Dodgers starting pitching didn't execute. The Orioles pitching was terrible, which I don't know. A couple of guys on a podcast yeah. might have predicted that all season long. And, 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 and frankly, the, the Twins pitching – which we thought was a str- – I mean, Sonny Gray goes out and gives up four runs in the first inning. True. Now, it's the Astros, but still, like, you, you got to – at this time of year, you need good pitch. We talk about it. It's the long ball. It's being able to slug and break people's backs and pitching. Like, you have to have guys, and when you can shorten games with starting pitching and shorten games with good bullpens, it is really, truly what carries you. And the three teams that won had guys who executed. The three teams who didn't, did not and put their offenses behind the eight ball. Like Dodgers fans, yeah, the layoff, it cooled off our offense. They had to start the game with what? A, a, a nine a four nothing deficit, deficit on average, Whatever. probably. Yeah. Like, like it was, you, you it's give brutal. a crooked number in the first thing, you go out there, and now those guys who are feeling pressure Pressing. because it's the playoffs it is, like, now what do you do? You're chasing. That's not easy to be in that situation. Altuve no. did it in, in Houston in game one. It's like bottom of the first, first inning, first pitch I see. Goodbye. First pitch. Yep. Goodbye. Here we are. And that's the biggest thing is, is well, you know, obviously there's there's a, a ton of different sides to, I mean, just how the Atlanta contingent, let's go with that word, um, handled the series on the whole was sad. Sad to put it uh, lightly, um, to put it nicely. And the layoff, how it impacted – the offense. I think the the big thing that I would circle, and again, playoffs are magnified. Guys go through slumps. Collectively, as a group, the top four finishers in the MVP in the National League had maybe seven hits, eight hits through six, seven games, whatever it was, in Ronald Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and Matt Olson. That's where I will give validation and credit to, okay, there is a momentum element to offensive baseball, right? There is a thing that taking six days off of like complete focus with 40,000 people screaming and all the things like that, there is something to be said that you cannot replicate that over a six-day layoff. And then turn it on for that shrunken series that we already talked about, right? We already talked about the pressure of a shrunken series. You're completely right about the Orioles. The Orioles, I'm not even going to sit here and say that whatever. Their starting pitching was not good enough. We had said this since day one this season. They had a great story. It was really awesome. We knew that this was going to catch up to them. So it's not even them. But when you talk about the Dodgers specifically, now this is going on two years in a row where they've struggled, and the Braves as well where they had this historic offense that just didn't show up. I think it is the combination of obviously the time off definitely played an impact, right? To see collectively those four guys struggle like that, it's hard to ignore the the evidence, right, that we see. But at the same time, that's no excuse for not being able to play and play at a high level and perform. And really where the Braves lost this series is when they had to throw out Bryce Elder in a game three swing game, right? You come off of momentum and game two and you win in just absolute electric fashion. Your home crowd's into it. You're heading into the bank and you need that shutdown start and you send out Bryce Elder. 
right? Like that is not a World Series winning team because who do they turn to when it goes to a seven game series in game four? So Bryce Elder gets roughed up and then you go to a seven game series where you actually need your fourth starter. AJ Smith Shaver is supposed to be this guy that's supposed to go out there and shove. So it's just one of those things where it does come down to that starting pitching depth, the starting pitching capabilities to outweigh and give your offense a chance to get hot. Pitching will always be ahead of offense when there's a layoff, but to build an elite roster, to build a good roster, we saw it with Houston, right? Houston did a really good job of being able to allow their their offense to get hot and get in those scenarios where they could win some ball games because Pablo Lopez didn't exactly make that Houston offense look like murderer's row, but the pitching kept them in every single game. And that's the difference between the Braves, the Dodgers. Again, the Orioles are an outlier in this. The best is yet to come. Play the Frank Sinatra song as you're walking out of the stadium and smile because this is going to be an awesome run for Baltimore Orioles fans. But there has to be something to be said for the offense is struggling after that six-day layoff. But the excuse comes in just nil for me when you talk about rolling Bryce Elder out there to face a just hostile Philadelphia Phillies crowd. Yeah, do you want to dive into this Braves Philly series now, or because I, I mean, I can respond to that in so many ways. Because to me, like rolling out Bryce Elder isn't even—it's like maybe seventh on the top reasons why this went downhill for the Braves. I mean, yeah. Let's that, let first first let's take a take a second to thank our sponsors over at Routine Baseball. We're gonna get into our our DS talking points. We're gonna preview the CSs, so we're gonna probably spend a lot more time talking about losers. Um, in this scenario, what where they go next and, and things like that. But our friends over at Routine Baseball offer authentic baseball apparel such as t-shirts, shorts, hoodies, and hats. Their products make the perfect gift for any baseball fan. Routine Baseball wants to give our listeners 10% off their order. Just head over to routine.com slash backside ground ball to receive 10% off your order. So let's get into the Phillies Braves series. Um, obviously, in in our notes here in the rundown, I have Braves were impacted by the dot 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 layoff question mark. Right? How is that an excuse? That is something that we've heard several times. And I'll let you get into your opinions because I know you're gonna you're gonna be passionate about it. But I'll start with kind of my big thing: the Braves lost this series when their rabbit ears perked up. They lost focus on the fact that they were flat out on paper offensively the best offense we've ever seen in baseball history. They lost fact you have Ronald Acuna obviously moping around because he's not getting his hits instead of just playing baseball. You mentioned that in the last podcast. I'm not going to sit there and torch Ronald Acuna, but not to mention we wake up this morning with the TBS broadcast and there's Ronald Acuna showing the iPad about it not being a, not being a strike, showing the cameras again. Focus on what's in front of you. Focus on the game of baseball. That's an excuse. That's a sorry excuse. You have Orlando Arcia. We don't even have to talk about the attaboy Harper comment. Getting Listening to the fans, giving what the fans want back because you're distracted from the moment of what is in front of you in a baseball game that you have to have your focus. The Braves got so caught up in everything outside of just flat out going out, being the Atlanta Braves that won 104 games and slugged over 500 as a team, OPS over 850 as a team, hit 300 plus home runs, broke all these records, and we know home runs win in the playoffs. And they sat there and they did not focus on the task at hand. They let their rabbit ears picked up, perk up, 
And it was sad. It was sorry to watch. It was a sad performance by the players in that dugout, by the players that are supposed And again, it wasn't everybody. I didn't see Austin Riley buying into the, the madness. I didn't see Matt Olson doing anything that was like egregious. It was the young guys, right? The young guys that are out there and, and play with a little bit of flair. And they were just getting too emotionally invested on the outside noise instead of just focus on what was going on on the field. Yeah, exactly. Like that, that, that's, that's, there it is. There's the number one problem is the Braves were so focused and fixated on stuff that didn't actually pertain to winning the games in the series that that completely took them out of it. There's like, it started. And the reason I was so upset after game two is because you see the Braves come back and win, which they were very capable of doing. And like I said to you, I think it's like, it would make, I wouldn't be shocked if they won this series going back to Philly one, one, but then they just, continue to let it snowball with the RC starting with the Arcia thing and moving forward from there on out. Like they didn't focus on the thing. It's after game one to see the amount of people with the layoff excuse from fans to their beat writers, which like the beat writer thing, like that's close to the team. Like when the beat writers are to national media personalities, you know, Ken Rosenthal, yeah, like there I was had to about, be whispers writing, coming out of the Atlanta clubhouse when those reports started coming out. Yes. 100%. When Ken Rosenthal's writing, like you're talking about 104, you guys lost one game. You can't win three of four. And finally, Matt Olson said it after game three, it didn't come to fruition. Matt Olson said, well, geez, I figure at some point this season, we've probably won two in a row. And it was like, ding, ding, ding. Exactly. But the only issue was, is like, like you said, I feel like it was Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson and Austin Ryan. Now Olson didn't back it up. Albies had an okay series. I feel like every time Acuna got on, Albies came through and, and unfortunately yeah. that didn't happen very often. And, and Austin Riley was fantastic. I, yep. Like I wish he played for a different organization at this point, because this was such an embarrassment to me <laughs> for this organization from the fans to their media, to their players. It was embarrassing. Not to mention, like, just addressing the layoff excuse real quick. I know I said this the other night, and again, I have more coherent thoughts this morning when we're doing this. You're talking about a franchise, and I know it's not the same players. This is a franchise that's lost 13 of their last 14 division series. 13 of their last 14 division series. Guys, the format is not an excuse for this franchise. It's just not. It's not. I don't know what it is. I don't believe in curses. I don't believe in a lot of that stuff. These are completely different players. But like you, this is a if, of all the franchises to make the excuse of a format. You, the Atlanta Braves are not one. They've continuously come up small in the playoffs for forever. Twenty twenty one and in the nineties before me and you were even coherent enough to watch them. Those are the two years that are the outliers. They're two World yeah. Series ones. Like every this is this is par for the course, and because a lot of it is this like. And I don't want to get too much on I don't know if it's because they didn't face adversity, you know, because last year they did the same thing. And last year I think it was different. The roster was completely different, right? Acuna wasn't yeah. playing to this level. Albies was banged up. The fact they won 101 games and got through that last year was incredible. Like, Albies was banged up. Then they do. The pitching was just weak. They had to push those guys at the end of the year. And maybe, you know, that's why they kind of got snake bitten in the DS. This year they didn't face adversity. Maybe that's it. Like, they had never once faced any shred of adversity. And I don't think, like you said, this is we've praised them for young team, young core. Maybe that's a big part of it. Because I'll tell you what, he didn't have a great series, but Freddie Freeman being the leader of that team, I think would really help them out. Ronald Acuna last night, 
he grounds out to start that game. He doesn't touch first base. Like, I'm not saying you got to bust it. You didn't touch first base, dude. Like, you you stopped two st- steps shy. Like you said, he's showing the TBS camera the, the picture of the ball off the plate. Then in the bottom of the sixth inning, after Castellanos hits a home run to go up 3-1, Brandon Marsh hits a single to right field that deflects off all these gloves. Acuna hadn't moved a step until the ball is deflected. He hadn't moved a step. Again, I'm not saying little league coach, high school coach, screaming, you got to be busting your butt to back him up. You didn't. His arms were folded. They showed the replay. He was behind him. His arms were folded in the outfield. Good friend of the podcast, Matt Trait, was um, at at the game last night. He said he texted me at one point. Acuna made the last or the first out of an inning. He was the last one on the field by a lot in the next inning. That's your guy. That's your like, leader. Like he might be right. young. He Freddie might not Freeman's be the vocal leader. Right. That's your. That's your. That's the Atlanta Braves franchise right there. Is Ronald Acuna. That's the MVP of the National League, and he's carrying him. And I, I, look, I think sometimes we overhype these storylines, but it is glaring with him. Add on top of it, then to continue, like when 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 the evidence keeps building like this, one or two things, yeah. it's a one off. It could just be a one off. The evidence keeps after the game doesn't talk to the media, refuses to talk to the media, goes straight to the bus. They got to grow up. They got to grow up. Like, that's the biggest thing. Spencer Strider, like, look, man, you pitched pretty good. I'm not going to give you the flowers that everyone else is giving you, considering if you're supposed to be, like, I'm just trying to put this into perspective. He got outpitched by Ranger Suarez twice in that series. Twice, He gave up three bombs last night. Like, if that happened, if if you were pitching for the Phillies, he'd be getting crucified. If he was Aaron Nola, right? If he was Aaron Nola, he'd be on a cargo ship to the south of France right now. Like, so, but to see him, his his actions in the dugout game one when you're getting taken out, like, and again, me and you love looking at the numbers and we think the numbers can do so much. But this time of year, it's cliche as all heck. But you can throw a lot of that stuff out the window. You got to trust the plan. Ranger Suarez gets pulled early after three and two thirds. He was brilliant in game one. Doesn't make a fuss. He's on the top railing. Spencer Strider's in the face of his pitching coach when he gets taken out. Last night, he gives up his second homer to Castellanos. Here comes Snicker. I don't know what he's yelling about. Obviously, I'm not going to guess what he's yelling about. He's visibly screaming on the mound into his glove to his teammates. Everyone else wants to guess what he was screaming about, whether he's pissed he got taken out. He's mad that he gave up another home run. He's yelling at the offense to score more from him. He's just yelling obscenities because he's emotional. But, like, those are the things to me that it's like when you watch this Phillies team, when you watch this Astros team, you don't see that. You don't see that. When you watch the teams that are – I know it's hard to say. Dimebacks haven't faced adversity in the playoffs yet. They're five and Mm -hmm. they're rolling, so can't point to them. Uh, the Rangers haven't really faced adversity. They're they're five and zero, oh, so I can't really point to them either in these situations. But like the difference, even and, and maybe if we were recorded, I would have had this coherent thought the other night. I'm sorry to keep going so long. I'll let you get in here in a second. But after Game Two, the way the Braves handled the Game Two finish with Arcia and, and all, and and then the red carpet the next day to go to Philly versus Nick Castellanos in the locker room in in Atlanta saying we got punched in the face. The thing I like about this team is we're really good when we get punched in the face. Like to me, that speaks volumes of just like where we're at as as these two teams, this time of year when the pressure ramps up. 
Yeah, I think as analytical as as we can be at times, culture matters, right? Culture will always matter. Every good organization that I've ever been a part of, whether it's the the fast casual restaurant industry or baseball teams that go on to play and host regionals or, you know, just good groups of friends, culture matters. And you're led by those guys that are your best performers at the end of the day. If your best performer is a mope, is not taking adversity and handling it the right way, is spiking their helmet, not that Ronald Acuna even did that, but dragging his feet out to right field, not moving on a ball that deflects off of Ozzy Albee's glove, that impacts every single person, not just player one through nine. Every single person that's affiliated with that organization who sees that, how do you think that if Ronald Acuna doesn't believe they're going to win these games, how do you think, you know, the reliever coming out of the pen feels that is pitching a high leverage inning? Nobody has belief that they can win these ball games. That's just culture matters. Culture matters. Culture matters. Culture matters, especially when you face adversity. And to bring up even the Arcia comment at the end of the day, I genuinely thought, I didn't say this, but that felt like, okay, the tide's going to turn, right? Arcia ignited a fire that didn't need to be ignited, right? Like at the end of the day, handle your business, act like you've, I, I, I hate this term, but act like you've been there before and just go into Philly business as usual. Like again, we talk about this in college athletics all the time, right? We were at an, together, we were at a program that couldn't get over that ladder of that team down the road, right? Where I moved on after it was the team up north, right? And every year it was, you know, you're playing Bloomfield College in Newark, New Jersey. It's business as usual. Your team plays loose. The second the green and white came into that park, it was, oh my gosh, we got to play our best baseball. Holy crap. We got to be the, you know, we got to play 10 times better. We got to get fired up. We got to chirp. We got to yell. We got to do all this stuff. Both the times, both the years that I was at, both these organizations, both the times that we just went and handled our business was because we treated it like it was an 8 a.m. tea time with our buddies. It was just go out and we trust what we do so much that we don't even care who's playing. I always used to say, I don't care who's playing. I don't care if the Yankees is across, are across that field and Garrett Cole's on the mound or if it's a Little League World Series team across that field with some 12-year-old on the mound throwing from 60 feet for the first time. We play our brand of baseball. We trust it and we will win more times than not because we are good and we do things the right way. Atlanta didn't trust that. Arcia could have just let that happen. And again, whether reporters should have reported it or not, reporters are going to report everything. He's an adult. He needs to have social awareness and understand that Chelsea James, who was with the Nationals way back and was also reported on the Arcia situation, says she has audio file of somebody saying multiple times at a boy Harper. That is reportable. It's not like somebody just swung the door open and creeped in and and you got caught on a whim there. And we don't even have to spend time on the uh, the extracurriculars that came out. You're an adult, Orlando Arcia. You've spent how many years in the big leagues? You know how the media scrum works. You know that a media is going to report everything that they hear. So why would you even do that to the point of motivating a team that necessarily might've been looking in the mirror going, Nick Cassianos is saying the right things. We like being punched in the face, yada, yada, yada. But 
at the end of the day, why are you giving them extra motivation? And extra motivation is something that's made up in in sports world, but there are certain individuals like a Bryce Harper that are motivated by exterior exterior factors and that kickstarted everything. So then you walk into the bank and Arcio's every at bat he gets, they're booing him nonstop, right? Like you've just alienated a fan base to actually hate you through and through because of the words you say. And that didn't need to happen. If they would have just acted like it was business as usual, I guarantee, I don't think they would have lost to the Phillies in either of those games because the offense would have shown up. I guarantee there were people in that clubhouse going, when he was doing the Attaboy Harper thing, I'm sure they were probably like, dude, shut up. Like, what are you doing? Shut up. Like, I guarantee, like, I know how clubhouses work. It's a collection of 40 individuals. Not everybody reacts the same way to every situation. I guarantee there were 15 dudes in that locker room going, why does he keep saying attaboy Harper when there's media around? What are we doing? Why are we doing that? You know that happened. And it just, that's where, again, the series was lost was when they got started to play those games and didn't just act like they've been there and, and do it. Right. And that, it's frustrating because that's a really good team that now has to look in the mirror and figure out what way direction they need to go. And I don't, I don't know where they go because if they don't mature and if they don't add some leadership in there, I don't, it's not going to be pretty ever again, unless they grow up. Yeah. And I think just to, I'll start with the leadership thing there. You're like leadership in sports is so funny. And when you're a coach, it's, it's like you get a different perspective of it, but no matter what your best player needs to be some form of leader. And sometimes as a coach, you don't want your best player to be a leader because they're not always the guy that you want everyone else to follow. They just happen to be your best player now. And the most out when, when they have flair and they, they're outspoken guys tend to follow that, right? Even if you try to divert it to a Matt Olson or an Austin Riley, like Acuna is always going to be the face, but what a, a leader what your best player can be as far as leadership, he doesn't have to be outspoken. But if he is a leader, at least by example, it's huge. And again, we're talking about the Phillies Braves here, so I'll swing it back to that side. Bryce Harper's their best player. Bryce Harper's not the vocal leader, but Bryce Harper is a leader by example in that clubhouse. Bryce Harper plays the game hard. Bryce Harper rises in these moments. Bryce Harper knows how to talk about, you know, knows how to handle the fans, knows how to handle the city. And he wasn't he always that like that either. No, as well. he had to grow yep. into it for sure. Mm-hmm. Acuna can, he's not he there can. right now. It, it, it's going to, it takes a willingness to grow into that though. And I think Harper, I think things have happened in Harper's life and the change of scenery, like that all helped Having Harper. a kid. Yeah. Which Acuna has two. So I, I, that's why I don't, Acuna's married with two kids. So I don't, but he's still very young. I just know Harper has been outspoken about how the the daughter has impacted him. Yeah. But at the very least, your best player has to lead by example because the leaders in that Phillies clubhouse vocally are Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos on the pitching side, Zach Wheeler, which it just so helps that he's their best. But, you know, I think he kind of leaves that pitching staff a little bit. Craig Kimbrell has come in and taken, I think, a more vocal role with them. And I think that that's what's huge for the Phillies is their best player – doesn't have to be a vocal leader, but he leads by example. And Acuna might not be a vocal leader, and that's fine. You don't have to be a vocal leader as the best player, but you have to do the right things. And again, I'm not asking you to have your helmet flying off on a routine ground ball. Touch first base. I'm not asking you to be happy that the ball outside the zone was called a strike. Move on. Move on. Move on. It's over. 
it, move on especially because you are going to get in that bat late in the game with the bases loaded and the tying run it's in scoring position and you are the MVP of the National League right but when you're too hyper fixated on that pitch that was a ball that was called a strike and how that screwed your batting average for the postseason or whatever just not focusing on the moment it was that's why he didn't come up in the clutch there like right. I'm sorry to break it to you, those things add up when you are sitting in a dugout and watch these things happen. The kid that cannot turn on from the at-bat in the past that comes up with the bases loaded, they never, ever, ever come through because that's in the back of your mind and you're not handling adversity in-game properly. You're not. That's that's not what mature people do. Right, and I think that like that's that's and that right there is is a huge issue that they have to deal. I mean, he. He might continue to grow. Like it's a long. This is not a foregone conclusion. I'm not going to sit here and be an ESPN personality and say that they'll never win with Ronald Acuna. It feels that way right now. It certainly does. If he's their best player and leader, and there isn't a guy like Freddie Freeman who you know Freeman was there when he came in, because again, Austin Riley came up with him, so it's not him. And 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 Matt Olson hasn't been there, so it's hard for him to be that guy. But I. <laughs> If he doesn't grow, they're not going to win. And then, and then the Arcia thing, like, it makes no sense to me. The whole situation is mind blowing to me, and we've had this conversation. There's no way he didn't know. He wanted everyone to hear it. You are lying. You are lying. Like, you are lying if you're sitting there saying we didn't want it to get out of the club, and we're going to blame a report. Like that is again. This is why I said it's such an embarrassment for the break. This whole series is in embarrassment for the brace it's an embarrassment for everyone associated with that organization it's an embarrassment to say you didn't know that how many big league games have you played in orlando arcia that you don't know the media's in there not to mention you want to you want to talk smack go in the training room go in the weight room go in the go in the the dining room media is not allowed in those places to your point, the media comes in 20 minutes after the first out. They're there for about 25, 30 minutes, and then they're gone. You have all that time to talk smack if you don't want people to hear it. You're repeatedly saying it with microphones and cameras in the locker room. You know 100,000% what you're doing. <laughs> if this is how it – if you're saying because it's the postseason, it would have never happened in the regular season because the brave beat writers don't report stuff like that, then the brave beat writers – don't do their job. Yeah, it's propaganda. That's propaganda right there. Like, <laughs> like the Braves right. organization like, is communist. Like, I don't want right. to go that far. But like, you're a you're communist right. organization because you can't censor stuff. Like, that's 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 how it works. And Chris Rose made this point on his podcast yesterday. Like, oh, we can't overhear things. What if we were never – if we weren't allowed to report when the, the scumbag assistant GM of the Astros uh, – harassed that that female reporter the other reporters who he wasn't directly talking to didn't report it no one would have known about it and those reporters are heroes like it's circumstantial now that and i get like clubhouses are a sank like 100 but it's the sanctuary in the time frame that you're allow it to be right like there is a window of what 20 to 35 minutes post game that everybody buttons up their collared shirts, says all the right things, and then moves on with their day. And then you get on the bus, like, and go, Attaboy, Harper, as you're walking down, fist bumping all your buddies and your teammates. Like, that, 
Arcia said that knowing that reporters were going to pick up on it. And then when Harper stared at him, when Harper hits two home runs, it's a lot easier to say, oh, well, that wasn't supposed to get out. No, you're just a coward. At that point, I would have just just turned into the – like right into the skid and just be like, yeah, I said it. Yeah, and I Tra- did. And Travis Darno's a coward too. And here's the thing that bothers me because me and you got into it via text message when it happened. But I remember Instagram posts and a bunch of comments coming out of this locker room. If you don't like it, don't let it happen. Remember that? Yeah. When in a meaningless regular season game, some of the Phillies media and Rob Thompson even maybe a little bit, although we, I'm not going to argue about that quote right now, got upset that they were flapping their wings and doing the two small around the bases in a regular season game. So now, you hypocrites. You're gonna you're gonna get upset when 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 Harper's glaring at people, and you're gonna you're gonna blame media members. You know how small that is to blame media members who are doing their job, and then the other media members that defend that carry weight oh, for this team. Oh, oh my, my goodness! Gosh. The people who are saying it is a saying you should never do it, and you're ruining it for the other media. Are you not? First off, this is the last point I'll make on this. What he said is at the end of the day, what he said is fine. He didn't it's give okay. away the game plan that the Braves were drawing up for how to pitch him. He didn't say anything even remotely across the line. He said, attaboy Harper and laughed. Him saying it is fine. Bryce Harper reacting the way he did is fine. fine. That's competing. That's what Bryce Harper said after the game. That's competing. We're competitors. That's what we do. That is fine. So for the Braves not to handle that after game three, like, and that's what, again, makes it so embarrassing and, and, and to me makes them just cowards and and need to take a look in the mirror this morning is how is your reaction after game three like this is what i would have said or see or see or darno yeah i i said it i said it i maybe i shouldn't have but i don't think that me saying that really fueled bryce harper bryce harper is one of the best players in baseball he got us twice tonight we'll be all right we'll move forward it's not that big of a deal Bro, this is over. This whole thing yeah. is over. This whole thing is over. But they played the. Vi- they went on. They went on the victim side. They went. Oh, the well, and not to mention that Jake Mintz is an absolute stud, right? Great. Like yep. stud. He's stud. a great human being. He coaches little leagues in Harlem in his free time because he loves growing the game. Cespedes Family Barbecue was built to grow the game of baseball. And they work their tail off to build that. And they love baseball. And this dude has worked his tail off to get a media credential with Fox Sports. And he hasn't always reported stuff that I completely agree with. There's some things that he reports where I'm like, all right, come on now. You know, he doesn't always have the opinion that I would necessarily agree with. But this is somebody who's worked to build their brand, to build recognition. And now we're going to sit there and somebody who's been in the game for years, who's been in clubhouse in Alana Rizzo goes out and basically just torches this guy who's a young reporter trying to make it in the game by name, basically. I mean, it's not hard to figure out who it was. And it's just, it's terrible because Jake deserves all the credit because he is, he is a just very passionate guy about baseball and there's nothing he did that was wrong. 
nothing he did that was wrong. No. And it's just, it's sad to see that they turned around and they went, well, whoa, me. Well, it wasn't supposed to get out. No, you, you're an adult. Like if this was an 18 year old college, like Spencer Strider slipping up last year, which apparently this is starting to become a theme, right? Where they don't understand how to handle the media, right? They need to take a lesson. from. They need to go from, 45 minutes south and get a media lesson from the head coach at the university at, in town. At, at, that's what I was about to say. All universities that don't allow their first freshman students to talk to the media and basically have sit downs of like, this is how you handle media before you go out and actually have to answer questions. Because especially in an environment like when you have the freaking AGC walking around and, and wanting to expose everything that that team does, you have to be careful, right? You are, every time a microphone is on, you have to understand that somebody's getting a recorded audio of you saying something. We have to do the same thing. It's not like we can just sit here and spew nonsense and not have somebody turn around and throw it back in our face. Like this is, it's like media 101, right? And it's just terrible to think that they think that that's okay to just turn around and be like, well, it wasn't supposed to get out. And it's that. And that's that, and that's again. This is what so you are the 104 win Braves. You have a historic season with a historic offense, and from game one, you are playing the "woe is me" card between the layoff excuse and this. Like, it is mind blowing to me. How are you supposed to be this big, bad team that's the best team in baseball, that's broken records, that has the unstoppable offense, that has that fireball ace that strikes out the world, that is breaking your legendary Hall of Fame pitcher strikeout record in the regular season. You have bench guys hitting 20 homers. You have a first inning OPS of 982. You slug as a team over 500 for the first time in history. And at the first sign of losing, this is what you act like? Like, that, it's crazy. And and for fans to do it, it's one thing. Yes, 100%. But beat writers and players, players. sitting there doing, uh, crying and complaining like they're children and it's not fair and we're victims is like this is you're a professional athlete man the other guy and 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 part of what's bothered me so much about the media coverage of some of this stuff too the Phillies are a good baseball team, and if we can, I'd like to flip over and talk about them for a little bit. Yeah, let's. That's, let's, a, that's a really good baseball team can over we, there. Can we get in here real quick? There's a really good podcast that I like to listen to that, yeah, that had this take before the playoffs started. I think the Phillies have the best shot to make a run at it. I really, really like this lineup. Trey Turner's hitting about as good as he's hit, you know, this calendar year outside the World Baseball Classic. You're going to be able to stack that. Schwarber's been great in the one hole. He can absolutely challenge a wall. Harper is finally starting to find that power stroke. You start to add in the other pieces that they've obviously had that can hit. That rotation with the top two guys, we've seen them run it into the World Series. And as much as I love the Braves, and, and I know that, the three run home runs going to win them, but how many run home runs are they going to give up in that, in that route there? And I just think when you talk about well-rounded team, I, I just have a hard time not imagining this Phillies team is not in the best shape to make a run at it with the Morton situation, with the Freed situation, and, and just looking at the, the team as a whole. Could the Bra- So that was a, I don't know what the name of that podcast is, but those, those two guys that 
that do that, it seemed pretty good. So obviously we, we had a hunch that we thought this Phillies team could do exactly what they did. And I mean, they, I just, I literally just opened my phone and the first thing I saw was that the Phillies played on a hundred win pace after starting the season 25 and 32. They won 62% of their games. Like this is a hundred win team. This is a really good baseball team that had it not been for a slight world series hangover, they would have been toe to toe with the Braves throughout the season. So to act like this team doesn't deserve the credit that they deserve and their roster isn't built to do exactly what they just did is foolish. Yeah, and I think exactly. And that's the thing that's that's been really making me angry through a lot of this is like you're not losing to Lower Marion High School. You're you know, Apex Friendship isn't beating you because there was a layoff. Like you're losing to a team that like you said played at a 100 win pace throughout the year. And you're losing to a team that beat you in the playoffs last year, that over the last six years of this this run that you've won the division has played you tighter than anyone else in the division, right? They've been neck and neck with you the whole way when it comes to you two on the field. They match up well with you. So it's not like that this stuff is even the reason. This Phillies team is really good, like you said. You come off a year where Wheeler and Nola and their two most important bullpen pieces through the most innings of their career. Of course they started slow. Bryce Harper has Tommy John surgery, comes back well. We thought it was going to be the all-star break. He comes back in May. He doesn't have the power stroke to late in the year. The $300 million shortstop is having a career worst year until August 1. When they started to click into place here, not to mention their fifth starter misses the entire year, their top pitching prospect. They didn't really have a fifth starter going into the season. They had to piece it together for most of the year. But then they started to figure it out. And the Phillies are built for this postseason play. That's what your point was in the clip you just played. This is a team that plays on a 100-win pace once it gets it together. This is a team that has the foresight and does a great job at the deadline. They could have used a right-handed bat. They go get Michael Lorenzo. Why? They roll a six-man rotation for the entire second half of the season so that their arms are fresh going into the postseason. They have two guys who got better as the year went on. Nola had ups and downs for a lot of the year, but his last three starts in it's September were dominant. Zach Wheeler turned it on towards the back half of the year. And then you come into the playoffs and look at look at it. Every facet of the game outside for some a little bit of defense and base running has been outstanding in the, five, the six games they've played now. And it's time we start talking, by the way, this isn't the top two guys in the rotation, in my opinion, anymore in Philadelphia. It's the top three. Ranger Suarez has now thrown 23 and a third innings in the playoffs in his career. He's allowed three earned runs. Most of those outings have come against the Atlanta Braves, the San Diego Padres, and the Houston Astros. He's struck out 20. He's walked seven. Five of those walks came in one game in his first playoff start against the Braves last year in game one of the DS. Five of his seven. So he's walked two guys since. He's given up 12 hits, 23 and a third. Ranger Suarez, it, like, he's the he reason toe they're to, where they are right now. And he went toe to toe with Ranger. He pitched, he's the only Phillies pitcher to throw two games in this series. He goes toe to toe with Spencer Strider both times. Last night, he outpitches Spencer Strider. Spencer Strider gets two more outs than him, gives up two more runs than him. Like, this team is really good. This bullpen is better than it was even last year. This offense is better than it was last year. This is a Phillies team. Oh, and 
just to backtrack here real quick, I'm sorry, talking about the start of the season slow. Also, a week before the season starts, they're starting first baseman who you can pencil in for 30 bombs a year, tears his ACL, and they have to try and figure it out on the fly. Yeah, Bryce Harper's playing first base right now. People forget. He made a pick play on a on an Alec Bomb play, and I was like, like you know when you like just stick a guy over there? and like yeah. It was like one of those, like, wow, ath- professional athletes are really special moments, yeah. right? Like, like imagining sticking a corner outfielder at first base and him just like scooping a ball out of the dirt and friggin' game three of the world, or yeah, it was game three or game four, whichever game it was, just scooping it up like it's no big deal. I'm like, dude, these guys are so special. Like, he just yeah, did it's that, ridiculous. like, seamless. And and this Phillies team, it, again, they're, they're built for this time of year, the way their team is constructed. They don't need a fourth and fifth starter. And yeah, so maybe that means they lose a series to Washington when they go when they have to go, you know, three, four, five in the rotation in August. They don't have to throw their four or five guys. Taiwan Walker, who won 18 games this year and was their fourth starter for the whole year, has yet to step on the mound. He'll probably have to now that we get into, you know, the scheduling gets a little bit tighter and the series are longer. Michael Lorenzen, the guy that they brought over to be the sixth starter in the rotation, has thrown one inning, and that was to close out an eight-run game. Uh, Christopher Sanchez, who came up and, and grabbed hold of that that other rotation spot for the rest of the year, who pitched to a sub-4 ERA and had a great year, hasn't stepped on the mound. Because the Phillies know, I have three horses, I have a loaded bullpen of stuff, and I have guys that can swing it. And part of the reason that you know, so successful is the Phillies do the things that we just talked about the Braves know. And another friend of the pod, old skipper, Tom Riley said to me last week, he said, my favorite part about this Phillies team and why they're so fun to root for is they're like a college team. These guys actually look like they, and seem like they genuinely like each other. Yeah. And all of that matter. And then you add in the fact that citizens bank park, the Phillies have the highest winning percentage of any postseason team at home. Yeah, it's Beaver Stadium, any East, stadium Southeast ever. Pennsylvania. Like, right. that place like, gets rocking. And all those things are a recipe for a team that is going to be really hard to out every year. I don't care how many freaking regular season wins they have. If this is the roster rolling in and that's the ballpark they're playing in. Yeah, so the, so, so the Nationals couldn't beat the Braves. The Phillies lost series this year to the Marlins National and Nationals. And they lost three or four to Pittsburgh. They lost a season series to the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. Okay. So they, so they didn't yeah. win 100 games and, and be flashy in the, in the regular season. They don't have to play those teams. They're not rolling their fourth and fifth starters out there yeah. every, every night, you know, every fifth day in the playoffs. It's yeah. different. As I, as I sit here and, and check the time on this podcast, we're 50 yeah. minutes in. We've still only talked about the Braves and Phillies. But that was the most interesting. The last thing I'll close it out with is – I have to put my ego aside and, and admit, quite frankly, maybe where I was wrong. And and Dave Dabrowski knows what he's doing. Not that I ever doubted that he knows what he's doing. He's hyper aggressive. I think he's toned it down a little bit since he's come to Philly. Like the, the deadline large. moves are a little bit lower, but like every deadline move he's made at this point in time has been seamless, right? Obviously, you would like to get more out of the right-handed bat that you acquired, but They've been fine. Like Michael Lorenzen was an odd move, but you mentioned the six-man rotation. It's like, let's get Nolan Wheel arrested. Let's roll it in the playoffs, and these guys look as sharp as they've looked all year. Genius. It's genius. And, and, how about, it's and what the they Brandon Marsh trade. I yeah, mean, Brandon Marsh trade. And then on top of that, obviously, offseason. Again, we talked about it with the Rays. Would I want to build a consistent winner with offseason deals? No. I mean, by we're in 2023 right now. By 2026, like, 
<laughs> this could look like a complete, like, you know, like two or three big injuries away from this looking like, oof, there you've got this roster. But when it comes to winning the games that matter, you want a Nick Castellanos out there. I mean, you have four home runs over two Hitting games. Seven. You, you want a Trey Turner in your lineup, no matter, like it's the Carlos Correa situation that we said with the Twins. It's like he might have hit 230 with 18 home runs this year, and he might have stunk for a calendar year, and he might not have been very good. He might be hurt. But the second those te- that that Fox Sports freaking TV pan comes in and you know Carlos Correa is hitting too. You know he's hitting 400 with a big hit or two there. Like he he has the pulse for the moment. And those guys that you sign big contracts for, they're going to. Your platoon, it's cute through 162, but that might not win you a five-game sprint. Which is why, again, the baseball needs to reevaluate. Like if baseball fans need to pick what they want, you have a marathon 162 and then you have a playoff sprint. You're never, ever, 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 ever going to get the best team that's going to win the World Series every year. Never, ever, ever. It's literally – and that's what's going to take me to the next moment of Brian Cashman had a quote and it was probably resurfaced at this point because Yankee fans just probably have like on their (laughs) wall like like just quotes of Brian Cashman waiting to be tweeted out with a picture of him calling him a buffoon. But he said the playoffs are a crapshoot. And they really are. Like data backs it up. Somebody quoted the the Brian Cashman said playoffs are a crapshoot and said it's literally closer to flipping a coin than it is to actual predictability. Like here's, the playoff baseball is is a fraction of a percentage point away from just being fifty percent just random. Here's my question. But we sit there. I mean, I just want to bring up the Yankees. We don't have time to no talk no no about no 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 no, right no 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 no. I'm nothing that. <laughs> What sport aren't the playoffs a crapshoot in? There's one NBA. in my mind. NBA. I disagree. The eight seed just played in the finals last year. Yeah, but that like in terms of like historically speaking, like sure. Okay, so in my mind, extension. the one sport, my mind, the one sport the playoffs aren't a crapshoot is college football. Everybody complains so much. We're now expanding it to twelve teams. It's still not going to be a crapshoot, but there's no competitive not, balance get, in college like, athletics. Like, here's yeah. here's the thing. Everybody, again, I said this last time. College of Charleston beats Virginia. Everybody's going nuts. The NBA, the Heat are in, are in the finals as the eight seed. Uh, uh, hockey, oh. an eight, the, the Florida Panthers are in, are, are yeah, in the Stanley half, Cup finals. Because like, half of one team's playing with a broken leg in the NHL. That's why the, I had to the, the, the NFL, there's a nine and seven team that makes a run. Like It feels like all the time. Yeah. Why is it that like we're looking at we're sitting here looking at baseball like we demand the team that won the most game be crowned champions? Yeah, this is what this is what baseball fans wanted. Like genuinely, like when we expanded the playoffs and expanded the wild card and started penciling in so many teams from each side of the bracket from the league, this is what we wanted. We wanted chaos after a marathon of a season, and it's just okay. Until get used it's to the it. Braves just and Dodgers, get used to it. Like, yeah, like exactly, but. The point I was trying to make with the crapshoot is the Houston Astros are now playing in their seventh straight American League conference series. Championship series, sorry. What? Like yeah, they what? are able to – and again, I think it's because of exactly what we talked about, culture. The lineup absolutely treats every moment the same. They know how to turn it up when it matters most. They know how to piece it together. It's just – and I mean they've done it with – Injuries, 
They've done it with manager churn. They've done it with losing a superstar and downgrading in, in Carlos Correa to, to Jeremy Pena and losing these guys George like Garrett Springer. Cole, George Springer, and just continue to churn out ALCS teams and World Series teams. And, you know, they're going to be favored over the Rangers. I would love to see the Rangers make it. I'm at the point now where I root for the Rangers over the Astros at this point. But, man, seven straight is hard to do. It's incredible. It, it it really is. And I'm so sick and tired of them. <laughs> and I'm sorry to say it. Like I'm just, I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm over it. Uh, but you have to respect it. It's, it's fascinating. Like, and the layoff doesn't bother them and they get those days off and say, great, we can line up our pitching and we can get healthy and, and we're just going to continue to steamroll everyone. And it doesn't matter who you put in front of us, whether it's the Yankees, the Red Sox, the twins, the Mariners, the Phillies, the, the hopefully not the Rangers, but like, it's just like, we don't care. We're going to roll through this thing and we're going to continue to win. And when you look at it, how are they typically built? They're built with a bunch of scary guys in their lineup and they're built with starting pitchers who have stuff. And, you know, Ariel Epstein, she, she was complaining about the format yesterday and she was going back to everyone that commented about the address. They had a historic pitching staff. They have a historic pitching staff. This is seven not straight this year. years. This is seven straight yeah. years and not this year. Like it is nothing about one year historic pitching staff. Get 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 off my front lawn with that. The Astros handle their business. They handle their business. Jose Abreu hits like four pumps all year last year, and then it's the it's the playoffs time, and Jose Abreu is like, "Watch this, watch this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go second deck if you put anything over the plate." Jordan Alvarez, who battles injuries all year, is still a great player, but like you know, you best know, hitter on the planet. I'm saying it. He's the best hitter on the planet. Good, because that's what I said. Uh, that's what I said the other night. Like. Yeah, all year he battles injuries and he has a good year, but it's a quiet year because it's not quite the the goofy numbers that guys like Judge and Shohei and some other guys are putting up with Seager. And then you get in the playoffs and you can't pitch to him. Lefty, righty, submariner. I, I don't care where you throw from. <laughs> Change up, fastball. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like doesn't matter. Does not matter if you put it in the vicinity of the strike zone. <laughs> the guy is going to find barrel and and make you pay. And that is what teams like. That's what it's all about. That's how you win in these series. And again, I think this is another team, especially as they've continued to build experience. They don't panic. I don't think there could ever be a situation. They could get swept in this series, but I guarantee you they'll be down 3 nothing. There will be no panic. None. They will not care. And that's like all of those things. Again, just the recipe that they have and they continue to churn out year over year is meant for this time of year. It's, it's Again, I, can't, I, I want it to end. Go away. But it's, yeah. it's incredible. Let's just put it this way. I think the moves they've made over the last calendar year, they got rid of their scouting director and their assistant GM as well. They obviously got rid of James Click last offseason. I think we're closer to the end because of ego and arrogance. I, I think there's going to be something that comes out in a couple of years that's like the demise of this organization had nothing to do with um, player personnel, executives, no. anything. It was who they pushed out of the building. They are heading in the wrong direction. They've they've chosen Dusty Baker, even though he's old and and obviously outdated a little bit, and he's done a great job. Like I'm not like that guy deserves a World Series ring. He's a baseball lifer, like no doubt about it. But they've obviously sided with with him over the last couple of years. James James Click walks out the door, and they're they're heading into a a time frame where I wouldn't be surprised to start see a, a little bit of a downswing. But 
And then they, oh, you blink, they win the AL West and here they are in an ALCS. And you're like, what? How? How, how, how? And and, um, the last thing I'll say about this series is that this is not the last we see of the Twins. No, and I think the Twins were – this was a successful season for the Twins. Successful you get the monkey season. off the bat. You win it. Mm-hmm. Not only do you win a playoff game finally, you win a series. Like, yeah, no, no, no. The Twins are like, not quite like the Orioles. Like The Orioles' trajectory is straight up, I feel like. The Twins is 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 on an upward trajectory as well. Yeah. I, 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 they're in a good spot. And that Carlos Correa signing, again, this time of year, we spend all offseason numbers, age, free, yada, yada, yada. That guy gets it. And that clubhouse is, I mean, first thing he's talking about, never feel this again. When you show up in spring training, I want you to remember this feeling. He's going to lead them to to some some big wins in the postseason. And I mean, again, the the straw that stirs the drink there is Byron Buxton. And I don't know if we're ever going to see that no, we're not. consistently. They need to. Um, it's sad. It, it's, it's It sucks. But it's it, time. I mean, they... I mean, they have them locked. I wouldn't give up on them. I wouldn't. I would go get something to though. I would not. I guess what I'm saying is, it's time to not count on him as a keep his. You know, yeah. Go get a don't superstar give up on him to, get, to kind of right. put next to him. Right. Yeah, let him be the right. secondary piece and all this. And maybe they thought Correa was that. I would get an, Correa's I'm best moments one. might be in October at, for right, the rest sure. of his career. Um. So go get another one. So show got a couple like more things I want to talk about. What <laughs> I think Shohei would like Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> never I don't think he even like it. he's like yeah. 25 uh, yeah so we got a couple more things i want to talk about we're obviously gonna gonna go a little bit we're gonna try to conclude these out um as best as possible but first this is to all you people in the atlanta metro area i know you guys are down in Peachtree city i know you guys are down there really mourning the lost i want you to check out our friends over at better help Maintaining your mental health in a moment like losing the NLDS for the second straight year to your rivals and finding excuses abundance is very hard, but finding the right mental health service to help through those difficult times can be really important. BetterHelp provides an easier way to get professional help. BetterHelp connects you with a therapist custom picked for you. They might even be a Braves fan for all you know that has flexible scheduling all at a more affordable price and from the comfort of your home. BetterHelp would like to give our listeners 10% off their first month. All you have to do is head over to betterhelp.com slash backside ground balls to get 10% off your first month. So Dan, I saw a lot like one of the things that will always frustrate me about sports is making conclusions in hindsight. It is so easy for us to sit three, four, five months out and say, well, why didn't they do this? Well, why didn't they do that? Well, why didn't you go to this pitcher? Well, why didn't you sign this free agent? All these things like that. The amount of people, I mean, we sat up here and I think like what the Orioles have done, it's super impressive. Mike Elias and company and the best in the business is what they've been able to build. It's going to be a consistent winner. Now we got to get the Angelos family to actually pony up some dollars to really take this thing to the next level. The amount of people that I saw talking down on the trade deadline of just adding Jack Jack Flaherty and Fujinomi or whatever his name was from the Oakland A's as negative was mind-blowing to me because we sat here on this podcast and we talked about it and a lot of people talked about it, quite frankly. Did we want them to be aggressive? Michael Elias basically came out and said, we chased some guys that were worth 
roughly 40 million a year. You can figure out who that was. And they basically didn't get the approval to make the move, which I hope is something that's going to change with the off season ahead. Um, and you're shaking your head. No, who knows which direction they go in then, but let's just put it this way. I think the way that Orioles handled the deadline was perfect. The way the Orioles handled this season was perfect in my mind. Do you want to sacrifice a Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstead level talent? And while we talk about prospects are obviously fluid and, and, you know, come and go, but the best is yet to come for the Baltimore Orioles. And I get that it's not set in stone, but nothing's a guarantee in the sport of baseball. You know, they're, the the situations in Tampa Bay, like there's outside factors outside of injuries and performance that could go wrong in, in an organization. And just by getting over aggressive at times and getting hyper fixated on, oh, this is our moment. This is our moment. And I get guys in the clubhouse want you to do it. I just think that there's there's looking back at it in hindsight and there's understanding where they were coming from, which I think was pretty good, at least in my perspective. Um, I don't think they should have been over aggressive. And then obviously we get to now, we knew this was going to happen, right? Like, I don't think anybody should be surprised by the fact that the Orioles got their business taken care of and in a playoff series because their starting pitching just wasn't quite frankly there yet. And that's okay. Like this is okay. What happened with the Orioles is okay. This team should be here. They should be here with consistency. I mean, you're talking about two guys that are in their first two years in Adley and Gunner, and then the ability to add those future top prospects, Jackson Holiday, Colton Kowser, Heston Kerstad, and many, 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 many more that are going to be coming up through this pipeline. You don't always have to sacrifice your future for one shot at it. When I don't think they were ready, even if they add these couple of guys, the biggest thing you'd regret is make, taking your shot and still losing in the DS to the Texas Rangers. Yeah, I'm sorry to Orioles fans. Like, I, I'm sorry if, if you're really bothered about this year. You shouldn't be. You should have enjoyed the ride. And you, like, I haven't mentioned you because I haven't really seen any Orioles fans. Maybe one thing here, they're complaining about the format. But you have zero complaint about the format. You got beat by a better team, in my opinion. 100%. Like, I know you want more games, but you got beat by a better team. Like, that team, I, and me and you sat here the entire season and waited for this to happen. Unfortunately, it happened after they won 100 games and got all their fans' hopes up in the playoffs, and it was like, your pitching wasn't good. And I was making faces at you when you were talking about the deadline, so I was trying to remember what our take was, and I believe our take was they didn't do enough to win, but that's the right move because this isn't their time to win yet. Yeah. And I know there's always going to be those people who are like, when you have the shot, you have to take it. I disagree. Like, Barring some crazy unforeseen circumstances, you're spot on. The best is yet to come for this organization. This team, you're, you, I like. I'm going to assume you're going to be in the same exact spot next year, close to 100 game winners, one of the best teams in the AL, top seed in the playoffs, ready to roll. Again, like your biggest acquisition you're going to make in the next couple of years might possibly be Jackson Holiday too, like freak of nature who's coming and I think is going to be an MVP level player. So it's okay that what happened this year happened. Now, the owner could get in the way, and, and I don't trust many owners. I don't trust any owners. I really don't trust him. Like The only thing that could hold you guys back is ownership not giving you the money to spend. But I think you have, the good news for, for that organization right now and that fan base is they have the right people in place running the baseball side of things that I still think they could overcome it even if they're never allowed to shell out that much money. Sure, you might not win four, five, six World Series if, if – 
they refuse to hand out long-term deals to some of these guys and lock them up forever for forever. But I have a sneaking suspicion that even if they're not drafting at the top of the first round, they're going to continue to load up in that organization and they're just going to continue to get better. So yeah, the, the deadline thing, they made the right move this year. This was not the year for them to push the chips all in. The layoff had nothing to do with this. You had a bunch of guys who were green behind the ears getting their first playoff experience. It's really hard when a guy who is only has one full season under his belt and change to be your guy in this time of year. Ali Rushman, I'm sorry, he's never experienced anything like the playoffs. And because of the society we live in, we expect guys to just be LeBron James right away. It's not possible, but I can guarantee you one thing. Next year, you know who probably is going to be primed and ready to go from jump in the playoffs? Adley Rushman. He just got three games worth of great experience. He's been in it. Not to mention their offense isn't the one that let them down this year. It was their pitching staff, which they don't have talented guys on their pitching staff. Kyle Bradish is a nice pitcher. You look at some of the underlying numbers, he could get better, but he needs to get better. He's not there yet. He's not in that group that can go out there and, and, and take control of a postseason series. Grayson Rodriguez isn't either. That's not to say next year, the experience they got is going to be great. The year after that, the year after that, those guys will continue to get better. They needed, they don't, they didn't have the pieces this year. They outperformed. You want to talk about a team that's built for the regular season? It was this team. This team was built like the regular season. They had a blast. It was a great ride. Enjoy that, Orioles fans. Don't be upset about what happened this year. You're going to be back. This year was, the, the, to me, this is always one of the most fun years as a sports fan when your team finally, like if you have a team like this and they start to do this and they beat your expectations, and it's only going to get more annoying for Orioles fans because they're going to go into every year from here on forward and there's going to be national expectations, there's going to be clubhouse expectations, and there's going to be fan base expectations. And it's really hard to live up to expectations in sports. So I, I hope you enjoyed this ride. This is the exact ending that you and I sat here from the beginning of the year and said, this is what will happen. This is what's going to yeah. happen. Yeah, I think so. And, and even like I sit there and I say the best is yet to come. And that's even with the, with the observation that you could have a, a Mariners like next year where you kind of lay an egg after breaking that, that little run. But I, I trust this organization. I trust Brandon Hyde. I trust Adley Rutschman. I trust Gunnar Henderson and I trust the prospects that they have come in. They need pitching. What direction they go in, we'll, we'll figure that out. I mean, do they make it? They probably have to go the trade route, trade route for a guy preferably controllable and, and a guy that's not like if you go get a Corbin Burns, can you necessarily like is it worth it for one year and then not to be able to lock him up for 35 to 40 million a year after that? All of these things are questions that they have to reflect on. I don't think they should go get a Blake Snell. I think their best bet, at, if they're going to go the free agent route, might be an Aaron Nola. Like, I think he would be a great fit in that organization with their player development. You know, he'd be able to be able to kind of have that long longevity that we look for in, in starting pitchers. So where they go, I don't know. They need pitching. Grayson Rodriguez can be a great two, great 1A for the next couple of years before he obviously grows into an ace. And Kyle Bradish, we talked about Ranger Suarez, important. Like Kyle Bradish to me screams Ranger Suarez like to a T. Like give him two aces and you're going to love this guy when it when it matters most. And, and I think obviously outside of that, they do a great job of identifying talent and things like that. But the best is yet to come for this team. And last but not least, it's – a weird situation because they play late at night. <laughs> I don't think either of you, you were too emotionally invested in the fills. I, I, I got a bedtime that's earlier than most. Um, the Dodgers, <sighs> man, you where do they go the next? Rangers? 
I, we'll we'll talk about them in the preview. I, I would love to talk okay. about the Rangers. Super fired up for what they do, but that was they took care of business. End of story. Love that lineup. So love that team. Max Scherzer comes back, and and if he does what he's capable of doing, if he if he gets added to that roster, that again that would be the knight in shining armor for me. Is him pitching in a big game, and again I've I've spoken it into existence. Now it's going to come true. Is Frank the Tank chewing on his little necklace and chew toy with to Max Scherzer pitching three games in a World Series? Can I just say real quick? I know we're going to do a preview. But like for everyone who's complaining about the best teams not being there, Monday you're, you're going to get Zach Wheeler versus Zach Gallen, and at some point in this American League Championship Series, you could potentially have Verlander versus Scherzer. Yeah, enjoy that, baseball fans. Well, and not to mention, this was a thought I thought of as we were entering into the podcast and talking was, tell me the Rangers are not like you know something's crazy is going to happen in this Astros series because the Rangers are at the center of like six of my playoff memories from my lifetime. Like there's something about that Rangers uniform playing in a playoff in October and something crazy happening. You know, that series is just going to be awesome. Like awesome. Phenomenal. And don't forget that's the stadium where game seven of the 2020 world series happened when Kevin cash goes and gets Blake Snell or is his name Kevin, Kevin cash goes and gets Blake Snell. It's game six, but yeah, six, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Corey Seager also, like, I know I said Jordan Alvarez is the best hitter on the planet, and I truly believe that because a guy that big who can provide that kind of thump that only Corey swings Seager's in this right behind 56 percentile. Like, these are the guys that, like, and again, we sit here all regular season and talk about numbers, 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 and exit velocity is important, and strikeouts don't matter. When guys can do what Jordan Alvarez and Corey Seager can do where they kind of combine both, it's like those are the guys that you start your lineup around because when it matters most – they're able to combine the two, right? Of like Jordan Alvarez can go on a tear. He doesn't strike out. He hits lefties, he hits righties, he hits subs, he hits changeups, he hits sliders, he hits fastballs, he hits 100, he hits 84, all the same way. It's like that's thing of beauty. But let's end it with the Dodgers. I mean, circumstantial, like this team's still really good. Like don't ignore the fact that this is a roster that like is very good. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are very good. Two things I think outline why they might've lost here, right? The first is obvious, the starting pitching woes that came from, from being able to not just have your starters pitch, you know, length and give you the necessary production. The second is Mookie Betts played shortstop in their playoff series. (laughs) Like as much as I love Mookie Betts and the fact that he does that shows that he's a unicorn in this world of baseball to be able to transition and do that and play at a high enough level that they trust him in a playoff series. Mookie Betts was your starting shortstop in an NLDS. Things did not break right. Clayton Kershaw, I don't even want to talk about the playoff woes because I don't, I, I can't. He was not healthy. The stuff showed he was throwing 88 in that game. Again, as much as everybody wants to tear him down, he was just flat out not healthy. And that happens. And guys were able to take advantage of that. Injuries didn't break right. Circumstances didn't break right. Arias wasn't good, but you would have liked to have him in game two and not Bobby Miller. And, you know, Lance Lynn threw batting practice for the whole year. I mean, he gave up like 50 bombs this year, which is just insane. Um, But when Mookie Betts is playing shortstop for you, you just have to understand that this team's going to look a lot different next year. Gavin Lux is going to be healthy. He's going to be back. Do they make a pit push for Shohei Otani? I think so. I think the world thinks so. Shohei Otani, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, that three-headed monster at the at the top of that lineup and, and things like that that they're going to be able to capable to do. Max Muncy's still there. Just 
this team's still going to be really good, but the playoff woes strike again. This is um, this is awesome. I'm 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 excited about this just from a, a standpoint of me and you. We we've never really dissected the Dodgers on this podcast because they've always been so good and we've always talked them up. But now we can dissect them. So hopefully we do that a little deeper this off season potentially or before the season starts because this is the first time in a long time that I feel like they are at an absolute crossroads. Urias is such a question mark for what's going to happen. It doesn't look good, right? It looks similar to the Wander Franco situation where. It, 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 you know, I, I don't know if we can ever, if we're ever going to see him again. You have these young, talented arms that need to take a step forward. Kershaw is clearly on the decline. I know he wasn't healthy, but like, how many more? Like, he wasn't healthy. Not, I think, less because he was like there was just an injury that popped up more, but because like the guy's thrown seven billion innings in his career and he's been dominant for all of them. How long is he going to continue to do that? And then also, I think that like. All paths and all signs, all offseason. The reason Mookie Betts is playing shortstop is because they didn't pursue a shortstop in the offseason because they were saving money to load up for Shohei Otani. That's great. I still think that's where the roads lead. But I think the added new spice to that is Shohei Otani is not going to step on a mound next year. Like, that just makes this offseason so interesting for them. And I think you're absolutely right. Like when you talked about the Rays after they got eliminated and you mentioned it again here today, you need guys in your lineup that have a little bit more of, of name value and superstar potential. And the Dodgers are out here, a hundred win team platooning, like what feels like four spots in the postseason. We're pinch hitting for Miguel Rojas. We're putting Mookie at short. We're, you know, James Altman's a platoon guy with Chris Taylor and, and on and on and on and on. And so really, when you looked at this series and you looked at the postseason as a whole, the Dodgers' biggest question mark was on the mound. It was like, who's going to even start for them? Is Bobby Miller going to – we're going to expect Bobby Miller to be a stud when he has the potential to be down the road, but this year he wasn't lights out. Are we going to expect Emmett Sheehan to be unbelievable? Are we going to expect Ryan Pepio to be unbelievable when he hasn't touched him out in the postseason? Lance Lynn, like it was like, where where are these innings going to come from? Kershaw has been battling and, and nagging injuries, he's getting old, and then you just add on, like it's not the main talking point, but then Mookie and Freeman struggle in the playoffs. And I mean, yeah, think about it. You, get a, you got a career year out of Jason Hayward, like at some point, just like the Cardinals' magic. At some point, some of these things that the Dodgers are doing. Like it just can't. It's not going to continue to happen and happen and happen and happen. And yeah, they may continue to be successful in the regular season, but so far, like they continue to get bit by like. It always seems like in the postseason, the Dodgers' bigness, biggest weaknesses are the reason they get bounced early, and it continues to happen year over year over year over year. Where it's like, what was I concerned about with the Dodgers? Oh, they're, they don't have any starting pitching. Well, guess what? They couldn't score enough, and their starting pitching couldn't get out of the third inning. Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. Last yeah. year, it was like, ah, their bullpen hasn't been as good. What are they going to do? Kimbrell's been really shaky. These guys are going to do it. Well, they get leads against the Padres, and then they blow them. That was last year. So it's like, at some point, like, it, it stops being surprising. I mean, and it was a little bit, it was the bullpen in 2021, too, when they kept letting the Braves come back in Atlanta. And so it's like, yeah, I get it. They they do things interestingly, and they put it together. But And, and I think you're, the Gavin Lux thing, I don't think it's talked about enough. Like, I think that, again, they were not going to spend extra money 
to fill that team because they were like, we're gonna get Shohei on the books for five hundred million. But now, do they do they do they change like does it change things in their stance because he's not gonna pitch next year? Or are they gonna play like again? This is after the second this, elbow no. injury. After like, this, no, I don't. I right, think they're gonna they have, have to go get to. starters. Like they, I think they have to continue on the trajectory that they're on. I think you also have to remember that Walker Bueller will be back. Now he's going right. to be a free That's agent huge. eventually, but Walker Bueller will be back. I almost put this in the rundown. Is this the last we see of Clayton Kershaw? It could I don't be. Think he wants to go out, but like he's been dealing with bumps and bruises. He's a Hall of Famer tomorrow. He's the best pitcher of our lifetime and it's just like why does he continue to do this to himself, right? Like at the end of the day, like I, I would not be shocked to to wake up one day this off season and and not in the LeBron. I'm going to attract attention to myself this off season fashion of like, oh, I might retire. Everybody knew that wouldn't happen if we just woke, woke up one day and they were like Clayton Kershaw announced his retirement on social media or something like that. And I wouldn't be surprised. I it like very very um, Andrew Luck esque of like just like rides off into the sunset and we never hear from him again. Like, I just wouldn't be shocked. And But then where do they go from there? You're right. The Shohei Otani pitch, resetting the luxury tax for them at least opens up the opportunity to add Shohei Otani and what is that and? I don't know. Is it Aaron Nola? Like, is it like he – he would look great in Dodger blue. I think he would be exactly California guy. The do- yeah. Oh, the Louisiana guy. Order. Yeah. Louisiana guy. Um, but is that where they go? Do they make it? Do they push for a trade? I think that we could see that. But again, Walker Bueller is a free agent coming up. Julio Arias would have been a free agent. He's gone. Um, he probably never yeah, he gonna be a Dodger, Dodger blue. Yeah. Um, but they also have Bobby Miller. And you, and, you expect Bobby Miller to be Emma better Sheehan moving forward. And, yeah, I mean, and Emma Chian and Pepio and, and these guys that are good. And Tony Gonsolin wasn't there this year. We forget that Tony Gonsolin pitched like a 1-7 what, last year, two years back, and was border, arguably their ace on their staff. Like, they're going to be okay. If, but it just, I think something hasn't me, worked. For, and I think for me a little bit is now that I'm sitting here thinking about it is like if I'm a Dodgers fan, I'd be really frustrated in their lack of commitment to position players and just thinking you can continuously roll out platoons and stuff in the playoffs. And yes, it works for you in the regular season because you are so it's good at managing it. Season, You're so yeah. good. But like in playoff – like this is a team that let Corey Seager walk without even making an offer. This is a team that let Trey Turner walk without even making an offer. Bellinger, they cut ties with, I understand. They didn't want to ride it out. But that's a former MVP you let walk out of there. Justin Turner, you let walk out of it, like, and relying on a guy a bit like to Freddie Freeman, but James like James like, Outman is right, not a superstar. That's my point. Chris Taylor, Kike, you bring back Kike Hernandez, Miguel Rojas. You were expecting Gavin Lux to do big things. Like, are you going to let Will Smith walk? Like, did they extend him? I don't think they have. Right. So, like, what happens when he comes? Are you going to let him walk too? Like, you can't. Like, at some point. Like, why not stick with Turner? Why, and, and we laud them because they're like, well, these contracts don't work out. But then it's like come postseason time and we're sitting here and we're like, well, what happened? These Dodgers team was so good in the regular season. It's like, well, what if Corey Seager was in that lineup with Betts and Freeman? The Corey Seager we know now, too. Like, that's 2020. Like, Corey Seager, the one World Series they have was carried on the backs of Corey Seager. Like, literally carried by Corey Seager. A- a- NLCS MVP NL- or World Series MVP. Like, this dude was literally a cheat code in Arlington through the 2020 playoffs. Like, he was unbelievable. And that's one thing that, again, you're right. 
these contracts do not work out long term. And again, those are what handcuff your organization. But we talked about it with Trey Turner. You win a one World Series, you don't regret it. You don't regret it ever that he could be on the books for the next 11 years, freaking riding off, living in, uh, you know, Conshohocken and, and riding off into the senior home every night. And, <laughs> and I and think he wouldn't even care. And I think it's safe to say with the majority of these contracts. Now, of course, there's always outliers that people can point to. You can show me pool holes and you can show me everything that Angel's pretty much done. And you can show me other guys. But let's say the Phillies win the, go on to win the World Series this year. So they got their one. You're telling me they're not going to have any more cracks at it either in 11 years? Like, sure, maybe mm-hmm. years 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 you don't. But through the first six years of that, you're not going to have more cracks at it even if you win the one this year. So at least you're now yeah. even continuously getting more cracks at it with guys like Turner and Harper in your lineup. So it's like that that right there, again, like you said, yes, it handcuffs it. But, like, this isn't college football. You can't sit at the top of the mountaintop and completely – just year over year replenishing your roster, like at some point you are going to go through a little bit of a downslide or you can do what you've continuously done and you can just get balanced in the play. Like, I don't know what the, it's hard. It's really hard to win world series. So for me, it's, it's like, that, and that's the big, I think that's the big thing is world series aren't a guarantee. Even for a team like the Phillies, like there is an alternate universe where the Phillies get bounced by the Braves and, NLDS. Nobody's surprised because that Braves team's really good. And then next year, slip up in the DS. And then the year after that, Turner and Harper start to decline. Whatever. Like that, that's an alternate universe. So winning playoff series is far from a guarantee. I think the Braves in the 90s made this model that was basically we're going to build a consistent winner. And we're going to hope to get hot in the playoffs. And you mentioned it. They've lost 13 of the last 14 Diet Division Series. They have the one World Series in the 90s. They have the one World Series in 2021. And that's it for a franchise that is in October playing baseball every single year in our lifetime, pretty much. And it's one of those things where do you pick your poison? Would you rather sell tickets and be a 90-win team every year? Most executives, I mean... DePoto came out and basically said that's the goal. And I get that, right? Like if you're if you're focused on the right things, I get that because again, as Brian Cashman said, playoffs are a crapshoot. So the more shots you have at it, right? We're sitting here just taking it's not like there's you win percentage points, right? It's not like there's something that says, like the Yankees, we don't say, well, they have twenty seven rings, but they've made a hundred playoff series and they're only a twenty five percent winner. The Marlins are the best franchise ever because they've made five playoff series and have three. Like nobody talks like that, right? Right? Nobody talks in, in those terms. It's about getting as many shots at the ring as you can and getting in the playoffs is the first step to that. Every team that's won over the last couple of years outside of the Astros has proven that it's about the team that gets hot at the right time. And that's where it's tough. That's where it's very, very tough. Would you rather be a Dodgers fan who makes the playoffs every year? I think everybody who, you know, sits like the teams that are down right now the nationals like in teams like that like there's flags fly forever but those barriers are tough those barriers and, are very but here's tough. my point if you're continuing to set up your organization the way you the dodgers are through drafting and finding these niche guys player development and stuff those contracts won't hamstring you if you continue to do that those barren years will never be as low as what the nationals look mm-hmm. like Never will. The Nationals don't draft and develop the way the Dodgers do. They don't find nope. the international oh. guys the way the Dodgers do. They've hit on a few, Harper, Strasburg, Turner, Soto. Turner one was a little luckier than the other three. But like, so the barren years aren't going to look 
anything close to that. And you're always going to have the financial flexibility to, to cut the checks to get yourself out of it. You're cutting checks you can cash if you do that at that point. We're not talking about a small market organization. So if you're the Dodgers, it's like, yeah, okay, if I extended Corey Seager and I have Freddie Freeman and, and Mookie Betts on the books and at some point it looks bad, well, I'm continuing to develop. And those guys, yeah, they might get be paying, get, they may be getting paid the most. But now I have guys who are younger and they're, they're better than those guys. So I'm continuously still giving myself a shot to win a World Series. I don't get you're it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough, it's a tough decision, but – like who's to say that the Dodgers don't win this offseason? And we just come back. Hundred percent could spring real. training, and we're like, I just think Otani, this is the first time it's a like, it's a crossroads. It's, just, it's a true crossroads for them. I think in a it long is time. because it's the first time that you have genuine question marks about. We've always had this, but he's always performed. This was the first time that we've seen Clayton Kershaw really like. Oh, what are we was, getting out of him over the next two years? Yeah. Well, like, and, and not even just the playoffs. Like, he was very lucky down the stretch as well. Like, his stuff was just not yeah. there. It's the first time they're probably looking at him saying, we've probably milked every ounce of what we've, we're going to get out of him, right? Okay, how does that change what the decisions you make? Obviously, the other things like Walker Bueller's one more year closer to free agency. Will Smith's one year closer to free agency. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are here to stay, but who's going to be outside of there? Can we keep that? Like it, it's the first time where there's genuine question marks over how long the core is going to be readily available to be there. And it will be a fascinating offseason. They can just replenish. They very well can. They probably will because that organization knows what they're doing. But even I would say in their prospect realms, they don't have a Corey Seager coming up the, the ranks right now. They had a lot of pitchers that graduated and weren't exactly great, right? And and they haven't shown the ability to be an ace. So they where do they go? We'll, we'll see. And I think it's interesting, too, that it's happening this offseason because once you see – after you see Shohei Otani as you know, the top free agent, it's not as loaded as it's been in the past no. at every position. Like, I mean, you, I'm looking – this is CBS.com right now the number two prospect or number two free agent is, is Yoshinobu Yamamoto, the pitcher in Japan. Yeah. And then number three is Cody Bellinger, who yeah, talking Matt, about a guy who had Matt a Chapman, but yeah. Chapman's four, right. Like Nola's yeah. five. Like it's not Blake like Snell. It's not, we're not talking Dansby Swanson, Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, Carlos Rodon. Like the past couple of years, the class has been loaded. And so now you're looking at the Dodgers and you're like, okay, well we, they could flex their financial, but it's like, we bring back Bellinger. Yeah, but you get the you get the one shiny toy and and you start to build around but that, that one shiny like, toy is now a DH only next year. I know, and that's that's a question that we're going to find out quickly what the Dodgers think of what he can be moving forward. But I know that was a lot. I mean, it was more than I expected to be, especially because we didn't preview. But that Braves Phillies conversation got a little long winded. But you have any closing thoughts before we get out of here and and get ready for the championship series coming up next week? I do not. Awesome. Well, thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pod, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. We post episodes twice weekly through the playoffs, always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.